0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 80 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is A Limey from Paris, an interview with Daisy White. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Daisy White. Daisy White is a 54-year-old woman from Paris, France. She currently resides in Los Angeles, California, with her husband and her son. Growing up, Ms. White traveled all over the world. During those travels, she spent a lot of time in tick-endemic communities on Long Island and in Massachusetts she never found a tick biting her. While attending school at Bennington College, Ms. White went on a trip to Africa. She got terribly sick with dysentery. By the time she reached her last year in college, her symptoms had made her think that she was dying. She couldn't hold down food, had terrible migraines, and pain all over her body. Ms. White was always told that her health struggles were not real. She pursued her love of acting after college, but was still struggling, especially with dental issues. A doctor was recommended to her and ultimately diagnosed her with Lyme disease. Now, after many years of trying to keep our symptoms in check, Ms. White has developed a thirst for knowledge in health and wellness. She uses her experience to be a health advocate for families who are facing their own challenges. Hey, Daisy White, and welcome to the program.
1: Hi. Thank you for having me.
0: I'd like you to share with our listeners a little bit about where you live, because I think that's significant to your story. I know you've spent some time on Long Island, and I'd like you to share that with our guests. I'm sorry, share that with our audience
1: i live in los angeles california i was born and raised in paris france so um pretty far away from where i live i was born of american parents and i was raised by hippie american parents Uh, my mother's from buffalo new york and my father's from santa barbara california but i was born in paris france and it was sort of an interesting upbringing because my parents were very unconventional in the fact that they moved around all the time. So I grew up speaking, you know, two languages for sure. Sometimes a few others and sort of lived all over the world, all over the United States. I lived in uh, Locus Locust Valley, Long Island. I lived in the Harbor. I've lived in Martha's Vineyard. I lived in Paris. I lived in Spain. I lived in Italy. I lived all over the East Coast. I went to college in Vermont, Bennington College, and I traveled all over. I traveled to Africa. I've traveled to many different continents. So, And then uh, Los Angeles is my home because when I was in my late 20s, I moved there because I was pursuing a career in the entertainment industry, which now is is very different than what i had already you know set my life to be but and i have a wonderful husband who lives there with me he builds sets he's a director of production for a set company and he does amazing creative work there and we have a beautiful adopted son who goes to the french school there and he's learning to speak fluent french because french is my first language
0: so can you share with us when you first began to show the symptoms of what you now know to be a tick disease?
1: I think I mean I definitely had some health challenges as a young as a young woman, even when I was in my teens. But I think, you know, for me there was kind of a moment where things changed dramatically. I was in college, I was going to Bennington, but I um had gone to Africa with my mom and her then boyfriend for about a month around the Christmas season and around my, my birthday, which is early January. And I had terrible dysentery when I was there. In fact, I was I was taken to a mission hospital because I was just couldn't really eat anything, and I had you know dysentery and vomiting, et cetera. And I'll never I'll forget it because I arrived there and you know I they handed me a, a a bottle of Schweppes that had been used, and in it there was some sort of liquid, and they said this is for your cough, and I said I don't have a cough, so it was a little bit of a scary experience. And I never really quite recovered from that. And I remember, I mean, in later years, I remember meeting my, who's, uh, the doctor who is now my mentor and who also had a huge part in getting me well. And he said to me when he met me, he said, you have bilharzia. I said, what is, how do you know about bilharzia? And how come you, you can tell me that and, and you've never even like, diagnosed me or tested me or checked me? But bilharzia is what we know of in America as schistosomiasis. And I was in that part of Africa where schistosomiasis is actually quite common. And I did swim in the Zambezi River. And um, schistosomiasis, if people don't know, is from a snail that lives in the water. And is a kind of parasite that can be quite tricky. So unfortunately, Lyme disease, as some people may know, for me and for many, is not just one thing. I like to say it's kind of a Rubik's Cube. Um, For me, it was. It's multidimensional and it's you know multiple infections that sometimes have to be unravelled and discovered. And I think for me, Borrelia was definitely a part of it, but certainly there was a parasitic part that plagued me for many many years Uh, when I was in college. And then I went back to college after that for my final year, and I really had a hard time functioning symptomology-wise. Although the dysentery and the and the gastro part improved, I started getting Very scary symptoms, and I remember my final year of college. I, I thought I was dying actually, um, because I would get these very bizarre, like migratory, pinprick, and sort of like lightning bug sensations all over my body, as if something were, you know, sort of turning on in a strange pain symptomology. Actually, it's funny that I'm talking about that symptom because it is a symptom that I it would recur for me for for a long long time for many many years and now that i'm talking about it i actually don't experience that symptom anymore it's funny it's like we forget the things that we feared for so many years when they go away but I, that was one that plagued me for many years and it was one of those symptoms that made me think oh my god you know there's something in me that's really scary and dangerous but that symptom is gone and that was one of the first symptoms that i remember when i was in college and then you know, all kinds of fatigues and pains and, you know, not being able to digest any food and just, you know, and I remember when I graduated from college, I was at the time 23. I I took a year off, so I was a little bit delayed, but I just couldn't enter my life because I was so ill, you know, and that was when I began to see a, a number of doctors when I went to New York City and you know i was diagnosed i had all the alphabet diagnoses in that time it was 1989 so you know lyme disease was not something people knew about well um it was cfs ebv you know it was all the alphabets you could imagine and you know those were all kind of given to me and i was put on low doses of antidepressants and all kinds of things and it you know took me a really long time to know what was really wrong it wasn't until i was in my 40s really you know, that I found out that I had Lyme disease. In fact, I'll never forget it when I met Dr. Klinghart and he did, you know, my first IGNX test or even before he did my IGNX test, he was like, you have Lyme disease. I'm like, no, I don't. I I went to see Dr. Klinghart in my forties when I was prompted by a a doctor of mine in LA because I had a terrible problem with my, with my mouth. So I had a dental problem. And um, he said, if I were you, I would go see Dr. Klinghart and I also had the compounded problem of having infertility and I'd had many, many years of having health issues. He's like, I would go see Dr. Klinghart. I mean, he's an expert with dental problems. So, you know, when he said, you have Lyme disease, I'm like, what are you talking about? What is that? I mean, just can you help me with my mouth and can you help me get pregnant?
0: Let's walk back to your childhood. So you, you spent a fair amount of time in tick endemic communities on Long Island, in Massachusetts and in other places. During your childhood, were you aware of ticks or any, any potential vectors that could cause you to suffer from Lyme disease?
1: I mean, no, I never, I mean, I never had, excuse me, I never had a tick bite and I didn't even know that ticks were a problem. I don't remember even pulling a tick off of anybody in my family or myself. You know, that was just not something that was part of my understanding. Definitely okay, so, insects as a whole, but not, well, not ticks.
0: I just want to explore with you, from an informational standpoint, what you knew about ticks during your childhood, and of course, you've shared with us that you never found a tick, or at least you're not aware of ever having found a tick during that period of time. So let's take the next step, which is between your childhood and your college years, did ticks ever get on your radar, and was Lyme disease ever something that you were aware of prior to getting the illness that you suffered when you started college?
1: No honestly, like ticks were not in my purview. You know, I think my, my knowledge or understanding of ticks was, was more for, for dogs, you know, or animals. I just, you know, people would talk about burning a tick off of a dog or something like that. And it's not something I ever had an experience with. I, when I was in Martha's Vineyard, I did have a period of time where I was extremely fatigued and tired. I mean, I know that a lot of people who spend time in Martha's Vineyard, say that they automatically have Lyme disease. I think it's a little bit like people who go to Maine. I was also in Maine. So I don't know. Like I just don't have anything interesting to say about my relationship to ticks because it's just zero to none. So
0: now let's talk about the illnesses that you were that you were dealing with during your childhood up to the time that you went to college. Um, how did those illnesses affect you socially? Did they place limits on your ability to be as social as you wanted to be? And did people treat you differently than you think they treated other people? Meaning, were you the sick kid?
1: That's a really interesting question. I mean, I I think it's complicated in my situation because I had a very unusual upbringing because I was raised in a, a different country and I, w- I was raised by American parents and I was brought up by the, the superintendent or the concierge of my building most of my life. And then I, when I was 12, 13, 14, 15, my, my mother, who really didn't like being a mother, made my my sister and I live in our own apartments. So we were just different. You know what I mean? Like to be so young and to have our own apartments and our own lives and manage being sick, et cetera, and, and not have a parent living in our actual physical space was bizarre. So So definitely that impacted me socially. (laughs) But in terms of, I mean, I I had pyelonephritis, which is a kidney infection, when I was really young. I think I might have been 12 or 13. At the time, actually, I was in a boarding school. This was prior to us living in our own apartments because my mom, my mother was actually battling breast cancer at the time. And as a single parent, because my parents split very early on, it was very difficult for her. So we were in a boarding school and I complained about not feeling well and nobody really did anything. They thought I was making it up. And I remember going on a very, very long walk over the weekend with my mom and my sister through Paris and I had terrible back pain. And I kept telling my mom, like, I had severe back pain. She said, oh, it's nothing. You've just been walking too much and sent me back to school. And I woke up in the middle of the night with a severe fever and vomiting. Pylonephritis is when your kidneys are so bad that they back up into your bloodstream and you have kind of, your blood becomes infected with your, you know, your urine in a way. So I was really, really ill. In fact, I think the doctor scolded my mom for sending me to school, you know, and and when I was so ill. So, I mean, I, I, I think people with Lyme disease, myself included, I think we are so accustomed to people telling us that what's wrong with us is not real. There are some antecedents of that in my, you know, childhood and my upbringing, because I think it's really hard. I I had to go through a whole journey of trusting my instincts in my body as well as, you know, it, I think if we live in a culture where people will tell you, you know, oh, I'm tired. You know, I'm really tired. I can't believe how tired I am. They're like, oh, you didn't sleep well. And you're like, no, you don't understand. I'm like really, really tired. So to be brushed off and, and not listened to when something's really wrong and then trusting that you're not crazy when you feel these things and and people are telling you there's nothing wrong. So definitely that was something that I went through early in my childhood. And then later on within, you know, a couple of years, I had something called salpingitis, which is an infection of the fallopian tubes. You know, yeah, I definitely had some things that contributed to an immune breakdown early on in my childhood. Had a lot of respiratory infection. I was given tons of antibiotics as a kid. But luckily there was also some amazing homeopaths in France so, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag of trying to understand how to get better. But I definitely struggled along with my health, as, even as a child, more as a teenager, really, because I remember having better health when I was younger. And, you know, it's it, it kind of led into and bled into, you know, having just overall difficulty with my health. Can you
0: share with us what role you believe Lyme disease played in your early symptoms both during your childhood and during your teen years, and do you think either these early illnesses compromised your immune system, which then allowed the Lyme disease to become opportunistic during your college years, or do you believe that your uh, immune system was compromised by the Lyme disease, which allowed these other illnesses to present themselves during your childhood and your early adult years?
1: It's kind of a chicken or the egg. I, I don't know if I will ever know the answer to that question. But, you know, I, I would say that if I were to use my gut instinct, I would say that I probably had the infections, sort of the opportunistic infections first, and then it would have been the Lyme that was, you know, able to kind of set up a resonance in my body because I already had some tissue you know weaknesses as a result of having had chronic infections, mostly pelvic infections, mostly female infections, but some bronchial. I had a weakened immune system and that was a host to Lyme disease. but you know some people could argue the other i don't know I mean you know I've talked to a lot of people who say that you know some of us our parents had Lyme disease I don't know if my parents had Lyme disease i my father i don't necessarily think my father had Lyme disease my mom could have. And my sister, I, unfortunately, my sister passed away three years ago and she battled cancer from the age of 33 on, she passed away at 49. So, you know, it's possible. My sister was extremely Western medically focused and I will never really know if Lyme was part of her. I tried to help her many, many times, was not able to, but anyway, these are just some considerations. I, I, I will never know about that. I absolutely feel that you know the there there are some there are some interceding events. For example, I mean, Martha's Vineyard could have been a place where Lyme set up house. Um, certainly, I had something that happened to me in Africa that was very dramatic and that shifted things dramatically. So those things are clear to me. But sometimes you know things kind of intermesh and it's not a hundred percent clear. So. That, well, I remember when I was in Martha's Vineyard having, you know, again, kind of a resurgence of pelvic in- infections and issues, but also, I, and, and I'm, I'm going to say this, and, and, and it may be a little more candid than you want me to be, but, you know, I had a, because I had the kind of childhood that I had, I was left to my own devices very early on, and I had an early sexual history, um, some of it was sexual abuse, and some of it, you know, was my own early on being sexual because I didn't have parents around. So I needed connection and community. And that was all that was available to me when I was sort of a young woman living by myself at 13, 14, 15. And so I think that sometimes our emotional, spiritual content in our lives also leaves us open and vulnerable to things, you know, opportunistic, not just spiritual and emotionally, but also physically. So it's a miracle I'm alive, frankly. <laughs> But, you know, I did, I did make it through. Well, thank God you are alive. So let's now fast forward to your college
0: experience where you believe your tick disease began to present differently, either because it was opportunistic or because um, you had a contact with uh, Lyme disease. Talk about why you think your experience in college and your health experiences in college were the beginning of your tick
1: disease. Yeah, because, okay, so, you know, I was the kind of college kid because I was a little bit older. I wasn't really there for the social experience. I went to an amazing college called Bennington College where you could kind of, you know, devour your education, which is where I was at because by the time I had, you know, I'd already lived in New York on my own. I'd been a model. I'd, you know, worked in the entertainment industry. And being the Capricorn that I am, I just, you know, when I went to college, I took about I don't know, I took six classes per semester when you were supposed to take four, and I did graduate a year early. So, you know, the first two years of my college career, I had enormous appetite for my education. But the last year, this was the year after I had been to Africa, I really struggled, you know, to get through things. So it was pretty clear and obvious to me that something more dramatic had happened to my health. Can you
0: give us some specific detail on how your the presentation of your tick disease during your college years affected you socially, educationally, or any other way?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I really didn't have the same impetus to get through my studies. I was constantly worried that I was dying. I mean, literally I had, you know, I remember talking to people about, I think I'm dying. Like I really, really, really just couldn't have the same relationship to my work. I couldn't have the same, I socially couldn't really do things like I was doing before. Couldn't go, you know, out and do my work and whatever, go to parties or go out socially with people. I had physical pain all the time. I struggled getting through my classes. I slept through some of my morning classes, which was something I never did. I think I might have had to take an incomplete on a class, which was something I never did. And then when I graduated, so because it was really in my last year, and I remember looking at pictures of myself from that time, like my face didn't even look, I didn't even look like myself. Like, I think I might have gained like 15 pounds. I, you know, I think I i see this with some of us, we get really skinny and some of us we put on weight, it seems to be different for different people who are struggling and dealing with Lyme disease. But you know, it was a really dramatic transformation for me. And I could, I also had, it was, you know, I had the combination of like exhausted, but had terrible insomnia, couldn't sleep, couldn't stay asleep, had night sweats. So I was really fearful about my body and my health and not able to commune with my community and certainly not able to, to function in my studies. I was also uh, you know, kind of a prolific actress at the time I'd done a number of movies. And so I was, you know, when I first got to college, I did so many plays and, and I was just much more rich in retreat in that whole community. So when you graduated from college,
0: where did your life turn to? What type of work did you do? Where did you live? And were your illnesses continuing to develop?
1: Absolutely. They were, I moved to New York city cause I was going to, you know, try to pursue my acting career and I I think I had a good six months where like, I just was in bed, you know, and, and not able to function. And I moved in with this, this woman that I, at Bennington, they have what's called a non-resident term because of the winters there. So I had lived in New York City during my period of study at Bennington during the non-resident terms. And there's this woman in the upper east, a west side that had an apartment that I had rented. And so I moved in with her and I really didn't I really couldn't do anything for the first six months of my being a graduate. Little by little things started to kind of improve, but I never really found the key to what was going on with me. I know I improved enough to be able to kind of like get back on my feet to some point. I did I did go to I eventually was able to work in theater in New York during that period of my life. I work with Tony Reynolds Theater Company called the National Actors Theater at the time. And, you know, I think I did a few films during that period of my life. And so my 20s were complicated. I remember living in Rome with someone with a boyfriend at the time in my mid 20s. And I remember <laughs> the poor guy, he was like, how come you always have to shop at health food stores? There was at a time where like in Rome, you know, they didn't really have a lot of health food stores. But obviously I began my career and journey of being kind of an avid health seeker, you know, because there were things that I knew would make me feel good. But at the time, nobody was talking about Lyme disease and certainly nobody had any tools for me. And I just had no Lyme disease was not on my radar. I just, and maybe it was because I had this early history of having had health issues. Like, I think I just attributed to the, to my own constitution, you know, like My mom used to say to me, well, you know, you're, you're fragile or you're, but I was like a very sturdy person in many ways. So it didn't really go together for me, but yeah, I just, I just knew that I had to be hyper vigilant about my health and manage it in certain ways. Like I couldn't eat gluten. I couldn't eat wheat. I couldn't eat this. I couldn't eat that. Now I have to say that's not something I worry about anymore. I eat whatever I want, but there was a huge period of my life where like I could eat something and I would like be up all night vomiting with migraine and, you know, I, 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 it was a lot of trial and error for very many years.
2: So, Daisy, I'd like to take a deep dive into how you got diagnosed and then what your treatment options were at first. So can you walk us through what doctor helped you get diagnosed with Lyme disease and how that was brought up?
1: I was living in L.A. when I was in my 30s, and I was, you know, pursuing my career as an actress. And at the same time, I was seeing all my variant new doctors in LA and I, I did, you know, I had a mouthful of mercury, which is something I haven't mentioned um, because I grew up in France and dental care wasn't so obvious there. And I remember when I was, I think maybe I was 12 or 13, my dad, when I was in America, took me to the dentist and they were like, well, this kid, you know, both my sister and I, these kids have a mouth, you know, mouthful of cavities So within a period of, you know, I don't know, two months or whatever, we were loaded up with mercury in our mouths. And actually, it's after that that I started to develop pyelonephritis and all kinds of health issues. So I can't negate that that was true. I have to make sure that I tell you all that because it was dramatic in terms of my health, how much it shifted after my mouth was filled with mercury. So many, many years of, you know, seeing multiple doctors. When I was in L.A., I worked with the doctor at the time. And I still work with him, actually. He's a wonderful man, Dr. Gallitzer. And, you know, he had a Vega testing. He he had a way of doing Vega testing. And although Lyme disease was never on his radar, he was like, you know, you're, you're really mercury poisoned. And I think if you remove the mercury from your mouth, your health will improve dramatically. So he had a dentist that was next to him in his building who was well known. He was actually a lot, an older man in his seventies who was known for, you know, doing the proper removal of mercury. So I took a, you know, I I took the plunge into having all the mercury removed from my mouth. I mean, I had 17 mercury amalgam fillings in my mouth. It was pretty dramatic. And so unfortunately the, the way that this man removed the, the metal in my mouth was not really great. He, dug very, very deep into my teeth, he killed most of the nerves in my teeth, and eventually I had to have root canals in all my teeth, because I had severe pain from my mouth all over into my body, radiating into my body, and it was a disaster, frankly, and, you know, as this, as this problem progressed, unfortunately, doctor, this doctor passed away, he was, you know, unable to help unfortunately, I was not the only person that was impacted by this dentistry. And it's, it's possible that he was just, you know, too old to do the work that he did. But long story short, Dr. Gallitzer is the one who said, hey, you should go see Dr. Klinghart. If, if I were you, I would go see Dr. Klinghart. He's a genius when it comes to dental, you know, problems. But he never said to me, he's a Lyme expert, or he's a Lyme literator, because he didn't have that understanding. And at the time, I was newly married with my husband, late thirties, early forties, and I was having some fertility issues as well, pregnancy losses. And so he said, you know, he's also he he shared this article with me that Dr. Klinghart had written about chlamydia, actually, and chronic chlamydia and infertility. So he said, Look, you know, you should absolutely go see Dr. Klinghart. So I came, I came to see Dr. Klinghart and, you know, he said he took one look at me and he said well, you have bilharzia, and I was like, bilharzia. How do you even know about bilharzia? And like, you've never even tested me or anything like. And he does a form of muscle testing called autonomic response testing, which I have now learned to do, and I'm I'm certified in. And you know, he eventually tested me, and he's like, yes, you do. You have bilharzia, which is what we know in America is just a schistosomiasis, which can impact the bladder and impact the whole body. It's a type of it's a parasite, and And he also said to me, and he said, and you have Lyme disease. I said, no, I don't. You know, can you help me fix my teeth and this infertility problem? He's like, you have Lyme disease. So, you know, I mean, I think I must have been in my early 40s. I'm now 54. You know, it took me that long to actually even hear that Lyme disease was part of my case. And that was shocking to me. So, I mean, obviously, I learned a lot from that point forth. But I, that was, that was, and then I did do an IGNX And I did have an equivocal, you know, Igenex, and so, you know, the rest is history. Then since then, I mean, obviously, I've had DNA connection tests that show that I have Bartonella, Borrelia. So yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of a, a miraculous, long, long time before I knew that Lyme disease was a part of the picture for me.
2: So Daisy, let's talk about you had you you have tried a wide variety of therapies to help heal you from both your Lyme disease and other pathogens that you've had and other uh, parasites that you've had. So can you walk us through some of the treatment options you did once you first got diagnosed and if you feel they were worthwhile?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I've probably done everything. (laughs) I tend to be kind of brave when it comes to doing treatment. I have done IV antibiotics. I did do them kind of short term, uh, not for long, long periods of time, but I did. And I happen to have the worst veins that you'll ever I mean, when people, uh, I'll tell RNs or, or even phlebotomists, I really have the worst veins and they're like, oh, no, 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 let me try. And then, you know, they get kind of excited about my veins and and they're always shocked at how bad they are. So I, I ran three weeks of IV Zithromax in my feet. And uh, mostly because I do have, like Dr. Klinghart said, I do have kind of a chronic case of chlamydia. Uh, so yes, that was very tough on me. I've done a lot of ozone, I've done IV ozone. Um for me the my the best kind of ozone I've ever done was called RHP or recirculatory hemoperfusion. Some people call it EBU, which is extracorporeal, out of body. I don't exactly know what EBU stands for, but it's kind of an ozone IV dialysis which for me was extremely impactful and extremely helpful. I've done a lot of homeopathic a low-dose immunotherapy, but also a lot of homeopathics, um, which were really, really miraculous for me. I respond really well to kind of energy medicine. I've done, there was a, a juncture in my in my journey where I worked with a practitioner that does worked with the Zyto machine where you kind of, you know, has some right frequencies and also treats different, kind of makes an auto nozode So finds everything that's wrong with your body and then makes a homeopathic based on what they find. Uh, which is from a Zyto machine, a sort of a a, a computer device that then sends frequencies. That was very impactful for me. And I also then at that point got my own Zyto and treated myself daily with it. So that was really impactful for me. I've done all kinds of antiparasitics, all kinds of antithelmics multiple times. I've done beamers, Penthmats. mats. I mean, I can't even remember everything I've done. There's so much that I've done. I've done all sorts of peptides, all sorts of glandular remedies. I've done things that are really outside the box, like gc which probably I'm not even allowed to talk about. But I've, I mean, I've pretty much, I've done BX, the BX protocol. I've done pretty much anything that's available or has been available, maybe not even available anymore. I've done a homeopathic mistletoe called Iskador or Viscum which I think is an amazing tool um, used very much in the cancer community, which I think we could employ more frequently in the Lyme community. And there's an amazing man who knows a lot about that right now. Thomas Cowan, an amazing mentor. He wrote an amazing book on cancer and how to clean your gels and water. That's an amazing resource. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm at a loss for memory right now because there's so many things I did do.
2: You have done a whole bunch and The one question that I'm most excited to ask you is, what did you feel was the best therapy you did that helped you the most in your recovery?
1: You know, I have a a hard time with the one thing question. I actually wrote an article about it because there was a period of time when I was working with some well-known clients as an advocate where, you know, people wanted to know what was the one thing that helped them get better. And for me, it's really an evolutionary process. It's kind of all the things we do that get us to that other side. But I have to say that if I were in my case to talk about any one thing, I would say that the dental journey is incredibly impactful. I went to Switzerland. I had all of my root canals removed. I had 14 dental extractions and I've had 14 zirconium implants. Chronic infections in the mouth, they're very detrimental. They were a huge undertow to my case where I really just couldn't get better or feel better. It's never perfect, you know, um, getting through the dental journey, cavitations, dental infections in the mouth have a huge impact on our health. And so for me, that was very, you know, transformational, very, very hard. Um, Wasn't easy, you know, to be a woman in her, you know, late 40s, early 50s, feeling like I would disfigure myself. It was very, very complicated for me emotionally and, you know, physically. But I did get through it and I, I have to say my health is much improved since then. I think ozone for me was hugely impactful, especially the high-dose ozone, really, really impactful. It's a blood filtration system. And I think apheresis, I see that being something, you know, because there was kind of an apheresis portion of doing RHP. So I think, you know, blood filtration is really, really impactful. So those, I mean, those would be the two things that I think were really miraculous for me.
2: So, Daisy, after about it seems like you've been now diagnosed for about ten years and you did some correct varying treatments over the last ten years, and today you're sort of just doing maintenance treatment, which leads us to our next question of how are you feeling today
1: other than having a terrible cold, which has been a bear i you know I'm highly functional, I feel really, really good most of the time. I have a five year old adopted son, I have a wonderful husband, and manage our household and I manage anywhere between 30 to 40 families in terms of, as an advocate, getting them to a better place. I travel 70% of the year. It's a a lot to do for someone who um, has a health issue, but I I feel completely capable and competent and, and well enough to do that.
0: So Daisy, the next area we'd like to explore with you is how this experience that you've had with the tick disease has changed you. Meaning, how are you a better person today as a consequence of having this terrible journey that you've had to go on? Well,
1: I'm a lot smarter than I ever thought I was going (laughs) to be. My knowledge base in relationship to health and medicine and, and for my family, for myself, and for other people is something that I... Is a silver lining that I never expected that I would have. My relationship to the medical community and, you know, some really brilliant people in the medical community and um, my thirst for knowledge in that area is something that I never expected. I mean, obviously, I set out to be an actress and, you know, to be in the entertainment industry, but I think that my impetus to be in the entertainment industry and to be an actress was really that I wanted to be involved in healing in some way and probably because. You know, my own upbringing, I needed to kind of mine humanity when I was younger. But but now I get to to mine improving people's lives, to be of service in a way that I never expected to be, to be in service of a community that's really struggling, that's unfortunately under-recognized at this time of our culture and undermined and under-explored in terms of, you know, the solves and also in terms of the support. I often say I'm on the front lines of Lyme disease and there are very few soldiers. So we have to really um, shoulder each other because there are so few of us out there trying to do this work. And I'm sure you, you yourselves are aware of that. You know, I, I, I love the work I do. I love the community that I get to help. And I, and I just never expected it. I mean, it was something I never expected. I also love to be able to help my, my son and my husband and and have the knowledge base that I have. Can you
0: also share with us how you've now also transformed into somebody who's reaching out to the larger community by using social media and a beautiful Instagram that you've put out into the world and how that's helping you reach out to the community of people who have been suffering from many of the challenges you had suffered from?
1: Yes. So, I mean, over the last 10 years, I've evolved into being a health advocate, helping multiple families through these journeys, you know, unfortunately many people come to me when they've seen, you know, anywhere from 10 to a hundred doctors and they've just exhausted all possibilities and their brain is kind of fried from, you know, brain fog and all kinds of, and they're like, I'm lost, you know, please help guide me. And I am, am fortunate enough to be able to do that for people. Also in terms of education, I mean, my I'd like to educate the community more and speak to the community at large about all the available options or different things and twists and turns that we all can take in order to find our way. It's important, really. Unfortunately, doctors are not trained to understand people who are not Lyme literate. And obviously, there are people, doctors, that don't even believe that Lyme exists. So, you know, are really not trained to help people through this journey, and I'm, I'm sure Many who listen to this podcast, as well as the two of you, know that you can go through many impasses before you even know what's going on. So, you know, I think it's really important to educate the community at large about what we're all dealing with. Unfortunately, I feel there aren't enough hours left in my lifetime to help as many people that are going to need help in the future in terms of um, education. But I'm really dedicated to that and I have a real strong sense of mission about helping people understand where they're at and what they need to do in order to, you know, get well, whether it's, I have clients who are impacted with seizure destroyers. I have clients who are impacted with, you know, variant ways where their lives are, you know, really severely impacted. So I'm privileged enough to be able to help people through those impasses. And I love to do that now. Thank you for
0: listening to the Tick Camp interview with Daisy White. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Daisy White, please visit our Instagram at A-N-A-P-R-I-L-D-A-I-S-Y. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick Byte blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. We would appreciate it if you would contact us with any suggestions you have for improvements. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank our listeners for their comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.